I found this post this week. Uh, the title of it is, Atheist Delivers Powerful Testimony of Coming to Believe Life Has No Purpose. At a local chapter meeting of anti-religion group Atheist Friends United on Friday, skeptic and freethinker Michelle Newberry reported deli- reportedly delivered a powerful, inspiring testimony recounting her journey from hoping in God to finally realizing that she is nothing but a carbon-based cosmic accident whose exist- existence is of utterly zero consequence. At one time, I foolishly believed I was here for a reason, that there was a higher purpose and plan for me in the midst of joy and even suffering, Newberry told her fellow atheist and agnostic brothers and sisters in the entirely non-religious meeting. I'm humbled and so grateful that I finally came to believe the soul-crushing idea that my existence is a complete accident with absolutely no ultimate meaning. Witnesses say there wasn't a dry eye in the house as Newberry thoughtfully told the touching story of how she finally saw the light when she realized at long last that her existence is the result of an impossibly complex series of inexplicable, incalculable errors and that she is nothing but a carbon robot devoid of any hope or meaning, barreling toward the absolute nothingness nothingness whence she originated. I'm here to witness to the power of atheism, the only reasonable worldview, she declared. Things like right and wrong, love and beauty, passion, empathy, ecstasy, and heartbreak, these are but leftover superfluous physiological language from our completely naturalistic journey to being. They don't mean anything. We should not even exist. Nothing matters. Literally nothing matters at all, she added with a smile to the crowd's enthusiastic applause. After Newberry finished telling the moving tale of her lack of faith, she reportedly invited anyone who felt called to commit their lives to the void of nothingness to raise their hand with every eye closed and every head bowed. According to Newberry, the group was ecstatic to learn that four new converts were won over to the idea that life is meaningless. It's a joke. You got that right? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just read an article in the paper this morning about the death of satire, (laughs) but it is alive and well. There's a website called the Babylon Bee. Who knows the Babylon Bee? Absolutely hilarious. This is a Christian website that helps us kind of poke fun at ourselves. Uh, When I looked at the theme of testimony after this, there was another testimony that was great. A four-month-old infant delivers moving testimony before baptism. (laughs) And then another one was tips for spicing up your testimony, um, how you can make it sound worse than it maybe it was, whatever. Testimony, the word testimony. That's a familiar and common word in the evangelical Christian vocabulary. It was not a word that I heard in my mainline upbringing. Testimony was something that happened in a courtroom. But when you come into the evangelical world, testimony takes on all kinds of meaning. And what it refers to is our story of coming to Christ. And maybe it was in a setting where every head was bowed and every eye was closed and you perhaps raised your hand. It happens in different ways, but it's the story of how we came to faith. And I, you also learn in the evangelical world that you don't, you don't tell your testimony, you share your testimony. Okay, So there's a difference, you share it. I'm being a little sarcastic right now. But seriously, a testimony oftentimes contains the details of before Christ, perhaps some things where, where your life was going in the wrong direction and um, some, some bad things. Um, some like to tell stories and some, some people feel bad that their life wasn't all that bad before they came to Christ. And so that's that tips for making your testimony more exciting. But seriously, for some there's been a radical change of life. Or sometimes the testimony is seriously just thinking I was okay to realizing that I was not. 
And in a sense, that's what's going on in this passage that Rose just read for us. The Apostle Paul's story, he's telling his testimony. It's a testimony of radical transformation from confidence in himself and his pedigree and all the good things he's done, his position in his life, his transformation from putting his confidence in that to absolute confidence in Jesus alone. And then this deep desire to be like him, to be an imitator, to be like Jesus. Paul also is really sharing his what I like to call his current testimony, not just his testimony, but his current testimony. You know what I mean by that? Our testimony, my testimony is, oh my goodness, 49 years ago, I was at a young life retreat and heard the message of Christ's love and went into a little chapel in the Redwoods in Northern California and asked Jesus to come to my life. 49, it's hard to say that. It was, it was right before my infant baptism. No, um, <laughs> That's my testimony, but my current testimony is different. My current testimony speaks of what Christ is speaking to me now and the things he's calling me to pursue now and the areas of conviction in me now that are very different from what I was convicted about and needed to work on 49 years ago. That's our current testimony. And, and Paul here sharing his current testimony of still growing into Christ-likeness. Not that I've received it, not that I've attained all this, he says, but I press on. I'm pressing on to the goal, the prize to become all Christ has called him to called me to be. And Paul inspires us then to do the same, to have a story, have the testimony, know our testimony, but to keep it current of what is God calling me to press into now that I might more and more be an imitator of Jesus and be more like him. And so this is what we want to look at this morning. As Paul shares his testimony, we, were, we are struck with this deep desire to be like Christ in all ways, even in his suffering and death. His commitment to press towards the goal of Christ-likeness inspires us then to make the necessary growth steps to become all Christ calls us to be. We're going to look first at what Paul says about his confidence in Christ, and secondly, about what it means to have life in Christ, and then thirdly, this area of pressing on is our growing into Christ, growing into Christ, into all that he calls us to be. Confidence, confidence in Christ. Paul says, in a sense, this is my story. This is my story, and he gives here really a word of testimony, and all kidding about testimony is put aside now as we take a look at what Paul says. Paul is saying that when it comes to to, to human effort um, and to great credentials, uh, he he really kind of has the whole passage for a a perfect person in the first century Jewish context in which he lived. Paul had it totally together, and it was a great source of confidence for him. In verse 4 he says, Though myself, I have reasons for great confidence. If others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Super Jew, Paul says, I am. He's just, he, has a, he has a big start just by his birth. He didn't have to do anything except be born to his parents who gave him the pedigree of being in the tribe of Benjamin. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but during the things that happened after in the Old Testament when the, the kingdoms were taken off and obliterated in exile, a lot of people lost their, 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 their tribal connection and don't know. Jews, a lot of Jew, most Jews today don't know what tribe they are part of. Oh, but see... King Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin, and those people kept track through centuries after that. 
Saul was Israel's first king. And so Paul's family, they knew. (laughs) We know what tribe we're part of. The tribe of the first king of Israel. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, he's probably meaning that he speaks Hebrew. And we would think that all Jews did then, but they didn't all speak Hebrew. Many of them spoke a local language called Aramaic, and the educated ones spoke Greek probably more often than they learned Hebrew. And then there were, so those are things that were just given to him, and then there were his own accomplishments. He was a Pharisee. He was a a law keeper. He, He was faultless based on all the things in the law. He kept all of them. He probably had a chart. If they'd had apps then, he would have had an app to keep track of his law keeping. In fact, his law keeping and staying so close to the Jewish law was at one time the very reason he persecuted Christians because he saw them stepping out of bounds of what was given in the law and the interpretation of the law. So there's no question of confidence. He had it all spiritually and, and Jewishly speaking for his time and his culture, but it all came to a huge change on the road to Damascus. That was when Paul was on his way taking letters to Damascus to, uh, to enable him to persecute more Christians. And Christ blinded him with a light on the road, called him to himself, and called him right at that point that he would be the apostle to the Gentiles. Everything changed for Paul on the road to Damascus. And so in verse 7 of this passage, he says in his testimony, but whatever were gains to me, all that stuff, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Rubbish and garbage, he says, compared to knowing Christ. What happened to Paul then in his testimony could be described as the great reversal. This theme of reversal is a common theme we see in the New Testament. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. We go, yes, and inside we go, huh. The exalted shall be brought low and the humble shall be exalted. The one who has everything against the world, all of it will be taken away. The rich will become poor, and the poor will become rich. The weak will be strong. In fact, we're made strong in our weakness. Rejoicing in sufferings, all these things that change definitions are all part of this reversal that happens in the world of knowing and following Christ. And for Paul, the dramatic moment on the road reversed everything in terms of how he saw self-confidence. He moved from self-centered to Christ-centered. It was a radical change of direction, but it began with a heart where his center was, his confidence. It was stripped away in all of his earthly settings, and it became confidence in Christ alone. Confidence in Christ alone. I count all of that loss. I count it all garbage, all rubbish. The human credentials, the pedigree, uh, aren't, aren't necessarily bad. Those weren't bad things about Paul. But his putting full trust and confidence in them was what was wrong. Only Christ can save. It's all about knowing him. Verse 8, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. That's the testimony for Paul, and it's the, the, the current testimony I pray for us here, for most of us here. Because it does not end with the reversal of turning to Christ. It does not end with a decision. Accepting Christ is not the finish line. It's the starting line, in a sense. And it continues to deepen as we develop our life in Christ. We change to a confidence in Christ, and then we begin to live this life in Christ. A life where we are knowing Christ, experiencing Christ, and becoming more like Christ. That means we don't just learn the facts about who he is. Anybody can learn facts about Jesus. 
but it's this growing knowledge in a relationship, this growing knowledge, this experience in this love, of, of really sensing and knowing his presence, his leading, and experiencing in very real ways his grace, saying, I would not have survived that if it weren't for grace. I would have been crushed by this if it weren't for his grace and power. It's that kind of experiencing of Christ in our life. It's an experiencing that transforms the entire person, affects how we live, how we act, how we think, how we decide, how we value, how we treat others as we become more and more like him. Verse 10 and 11, he says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Wow, that is a, that is a, a loaded two verses. I should do the whole sermon just on what this one means, but I don't have time. (laughs) But I struggled with this thing. In fact, it came up this morning. There's been misinterpretation of this. In our Caring for Aging class, Pam Bolianis led us through several of the medical issues. She said people refuse pain medications on religious grounds because they feel they should suffer, participate in the sufferings of Christ. Don't think that's what Paul meant. Pretty sure it's not what he meant. I'm going to know the power's resurrection, but I'm going to participate with him in his sufferings. If we're going to talk about being imitators and becoming like Christ, do we get to just pick and choose the things we want to be like? Or do we forget the suffering of Jesus Christ? What that gives is some meaning to our own suffering. It reminds us that life is not promised to be perfect. It's promised to include trials and even suffering. We might rejoice in them in a sense that they are something that draws us near to Christ, but they, they still have the power to crush us. And yet, when we are in them, we are reminded that Christ is with us. And we are only getting a taste of the suffering that he experienced. Our perfect Lord and Savior suffered. And so there comes in us an assurance that we suffer like he did, a little bit. But there also comes the challenge. Are we willing to? Are we willing to let our faith go to that place? And not just our faith up here, but what happened in our life that we're willing, that our confidence in Christ, that our life in Christ is developed to a place that if it's going to involve suffering, we're willing to walk through it with Christ. It's hard stuff, isn't it? it, we, we, We do this together. We encourage each other. Our 16 that gathered today to talk about caring for aging parents, they, they aren't suffering, but this is a hard time without easy answers. And, it's, and it's, it's hard to know what's best. And you see your parent change, and you see their personality change, and you see them unable to do, you see them get sick and get better, but when they get better, they're not as good as they were before, and all of that. And so we need to share our stories together to get through it and claim the power of Christ. All these things. But no when Paul says this, he doesn't just talk about suffering. He says, I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We will die and it may be painful. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. 
I'm going to do it all Jesus' way so that I get the prize that he got too. There's the prize that he got, which was killing death and putting death to death and securing eternal life for us. I want to go through it all. So I'd be like Jesus in his death, but also in his resurrection. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. It's not something I have to do on my own power. I want to know his power in the suffering and in the rising. I don't feel that I've done a great job explaining that, but let's keep our mind open to that when we talk about being imitators. It's not just being nicer. <laughs> it might mean suffering. But we're not alone in it. We've got each other. We've got this power as well. Ultimately, our life in Christ is one in which we are empowered for our living and for our dying and ultimately our rising. Let's look then at growing into Christ, what it might mean pressing into it, pressing forward. It might mean pressing into this area of understanding what suffering means for me or what suffering means for another. We see people suffering in Las Vegas. We get involved in the discussion of racial reconciliation. We realize that others are suffering purely because of their life situation or their ethnic ethnicity. And so that might be what God's calling us to understand too, to understand the suffering of others as well as our own. When we get to verse 12, it's as if Paul is correcting a false assumption that the reader might have at this point, that Paul is saying, you know, I used to think I had it all together, but in Christ now, now I do have it all together. (laughs) But he's saying, no, no, I I don't. He says, but here's what I'm going to do to grow in Christ. I'm looking forward. I'm going to look forward. I've not arrived, but I'm on my way. I'm not there, but I'm on my way. Verse 12 says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And this is not just his human effort, that earlier part of the chapter, but it's in response to the initiative of God in his life. In a sense, Paul's saying, he got a hold of me. He's got a unique plan for me. He created me. He wired me up. I'm gonna, going to press on. I'm going to press in, growing into all Christ has called me to be. He has, this, he has this way that he has created us and our, our pressing on is to become more of who he's created us to be. It's kind of what we mean when we talk about spiritual formation these days. The intentional transformation in our person of putting ourselves in places where God can change us and form us. We used to call it Christian education in the church and that was a, a good word, but education sometimes just became learning the facts and learning the verses and, and learning the realities, which is all really important. But we really realize it's more than education, it's formation of Christ being formed in us. Taking, as Paul says, taking hold of that for which Christ took hold of us. Pressing on means we want to be formed by Christ in us. We move forward, but we're not there yet. Moving forward as Paul is beginning to use sort of some some race imagery here. And it becomes clearly more the image when he gets to the part of saying, forgetting what lies behind, pressing on, fully aware. Moving into his second press on, he says it twice, Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. I couldn't help but think of a race analogy today. <laughs> How's Greg doing? Did you check lately? So he's, he should be getting there. So yeah. are you checking, Barry? How's he doing? No, no, not, not, no update yet. Okay, good. We have these little tracking things on our phones. You know, in a long race like Greg is running now, um, 
looking back is not that significant, um, especially for people like me. These are my stats from the, from the half marathon a couple weeks ago. I finished 3,236th out of 8,022. Not bad for an old guy. But speaking of not, see that 13 out of 46? There was only 46 guys 65 and older, and I was number 13. I'm going to press on to be number 12 next year. So there you go. Anyway, in a, in a race like this, and you can move the slide on. Um, enough about me. Um, my current testimony. <laughs> anyway, in, in a long race like that, looking back doesn't slow you down. But in a short sprint, if any of you are sprinters or have been before, where tenths and now with technology, even one hundredths of a second matter, even a quick look back can slow the runner's progress. And so you forget it. You don't worry about who's behind you. You don't worry about who's leaning on you. You look to the goal and get to the finish line. And Paul says, that's what I'm doing. I'm forgetting what's back there, and I'm looking forward to the goal of becoming more like Christ, becoming more the, 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 the me he wants me to be. I love the way John Artberg puts it in one book. He says, he doesn't want you to be more godlier. He wants you to be more you-ier. <laughs> Artberg has a way of turning the phrase. More you, the you he you intended you to be. Of course, the question of Bible students for centuries has been, what part of the past is Paul forgetting? Is he forgetting his pre-Christian self-centeredness and persecution of Christians? Or is he putting behind the accomplishments and growth he's already experienced as a believer, as a follower of Christ and a missionary? The context really points more to that. Forgetting the way, how I've grown so far. Not, not that it doesn't matter, but it can lead to a spiritual pride or, or even a complacency, like, I think I'm doing pretty good as a Christian now. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the apostle to all the Gentiles of the entire world. I'm doing pretty good. He says, I'm putting that behind. I'm, I'm putting complacency, I'm putting pride behind and pressing on because there's still farther to go to live into who Christ has called me to be. Now, our reading this morning only went through verse 14, but I just want to mention verse 17 as we wrap this thing up, as we look towards some application. Verse 17, Paul goes on, really. And in verse 17, he says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. In our growing and our pressing on, we need the encouragement, support, and example of others. And so there's not only forward and, follow, and forgetting, but there's also following here, following healthy models. I realize when you use the term healthy models, we see fitness magazines and things, and that's not what I mean. I mean spiritually healthy models. Who are the people God has brought around you who are spiritually healthy, who are pursuing Christ and reflecting Christ in the way they live? People who are spiritually healthy, people who are emotionally healthy, who know themselves, who are realistic about themselves, who are healthy in their relationship with others, who practice what we have called around here the, the holy manners of giving others the benefit of the doubt, of an ability to accept differences of opinion and still work together, things like that, of dealing with conflict in ways that are honor God rather than become divisive, relationally healthy, spiritually healthy people, that kind of healthy Those are the kind of examples to follow, the kind of models that we need in our life. Now, some read this from Paul and say, follow, be just like me. And it sounds kind of brash, but in a sense, Paul's saying, I'm just doing my best to humbly follow Christ and live for him. And not just me, but there's others who live this way too. Remember, there was no New Testament then. 
There was no Bible to look to then in the, of a New Testament. And so they needed the lives of others around them. But even with the New Testament that we have and stories of others, we still need these examples. We need them around them, not of perfect people, but of faithfulness, of people that are pursuing this, people who are in their current testimony are pressing on. In the church, probably more than we need new programs, new studies, new series, new DVDs, new books, new, new studies from churches who think they're cool and want us to be cool, uh, more than a big Christian's name. We need models. We need mentors. Mentors. It's a big word in discipleship studies now. Studies of of younger people say, I just want a mentor. Not a perfect person, but somebody that will walk through this with me that maybe has a a few years on me and a few experiences on me. We need mentors. We have seen the deep value and see the deep value of it here in our confirmation program. Right, Jason? Yeah, right. Jason, I mentored Jason. Changed his life, right, Jason? We say that kidding because it's not true, but we have a bond because of that. We need mentors. We've had internships in this church. Some small groups are functioning this way where there's a mentoring that goes on, a mutual mentoring. It's part of the growing edge of our MOPS ministry. And that's why we've asked some of you women to consider who are just a few years beyond MOPS age, could you come just hang around with some of these moms? Everybody freaks out about time commitments, and I totally understand that. But some of these are just relations. We see it even in some of the 341 women's groups and the Ironman men's groups. Sharing our life, modeling for each other the efforts we're making to press on. To together be imitators, imitators of Jesus, to press on. Testimony. We all have a testimony, wherever we are on it, you know. I think the challenge today is to look back and to see the places where God has moved. Sometimes we get so discouraged in our Christian walk, we've got to go, did that really happen? When I made that decision, when I made that proclamation, when I was this age or when I rededicated those next three times, sometimes we need the reassurance and look, but I saw God move here, here, and here. And I really sensed that he was leading me here. here. Yeah, we, we need to go back and reflect on our testimony. But we need to look at the current testimony and say, how am I doing? Is there, is there a story to tell now? Are there areas where God is challenging me to press on now? As I thought about this for myself, I, I thought of some of the challenges of my youth, and, and yet now at this age and stage in my life and my career, of the things that I really feel God nudging me to press into, this whole area of, of, of biblical justice is something that just swirls in me. And, and, and I, I, I have a passion to understand it from the perspective of Christ and have a, a biblical framework around it to challenge us that I really believe we can impact some of the horrible situations going on in the world. But we either knee-jerk to it, somebody that's too liberal about it or we knee-jerk to somebody that's way too conservative about it rather than saying... Or just saying Jesus is going to work everything out and we have sort of a triumphalist, everything's going to turn out okay in the end, so why should we try? That's irresponsible. <laughs> but to wrestle with it, that's, one of, I'm, that's my current testimony. I'd be willing to talk with you more about it as we go on. But what is your current testimony? Where is God challenging you as you press on? And I just have a few questions here if, to reflect on and I encourage you to maybe take your outline home and look at some of these. But the first question is, how is your current testimony? And I think to, to, for the reassurance to ask the second question, have you placed your full confidence in Christ to save you and give you life? Because I think there is for all of us still that temptation of, of putting confidence in our own efforts 
to please God. And so we need to ask ourselves those hard questions as well. And I think just the impact of the world around us. What are the things in this broken world, this contemporary culture, that make it especially difficult to focus on Christ? We are dealing with so much in our lives. But I think the practical question, and I know last week I had you write something down and put it on a sticky in a mirror. This one, write down for yourself. What will pressing on look like for you this week? What's, what's the area where God is saying, press on? Forget what lies behind, all the good you've done, and all the wonderful things with Christ, all the bad you've done, the things that are, tempt you to pull back and wallow in shame. But what, what's out there that he's calling me to? as I put my full trust in him, pressing towards the goal of becoming all that he's called me to be. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul. We thank you for your work in his life and for leading him to write these words to that little Philippian church that was struggling with some stuff. And somehow, through the miracle of inspiration, you brought this word to us today. May it come alive in us, Lord. Not just to love these words, but to respond to these words. To make our testimony current because of the specific places you're calling us to press on as we move towards the goal of becoming all that you've called us to be. We love you, Jesus, our goal. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.